Hello, Diana. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to Should We, a conversation with friends about the everyday choices that make us. Diana, today is a different kind of episode in which I get to ask you a lot of questions. That's my plan. Yes, I'm on board. I'm on board. Great. And I'm just going to wing it. I didn't prepare. Should we wing it? (laughs) (laughs) We should wing it. This, my questions are really going to be a follow-up from the episode we did with Jane Tite about coaching, in which you shared with Jane that you intended to become a coach, to do some coaching training. And Jane was very thoughtful and encouraging about it. And now you have begun. I've begun. How does it feel? It feels so big. Big is the best way I can describe it because I was in workshops nine to five on both Saturday and Sunday. And then I had an afternoon piece the Friday before that as well. So it was two and a half days of experiential learning, which in practice means just talking and listening intently all day long. So it was overwhelming in a way, but it also unlocked so many pathways in my brain. I am going to be a coach. It's going to be the most important thing I do in the next few years career-wise because A lot of what we were learning in this first workshop, and this is just the first of five three-day workshops that I'll be doing over the next five months. Um, This workshop was called Fundamentals. I'm taking this five-month training through an organization called the Coaches Training Institute, abbreviated CTI. This course is called Fundamentals. It's the course that if you don't like it, you can get your money back for the whole thing. They try to make it a taster course that gives you a preview of what you'd learn in the rest of the five months and a real bodily feeling of what it would be like to be a coach. And so there were about 20 people in the room sitting in a circle in these wheelie chairs with no tables in front of us so that we could intently watch each other's body language, a lot of which is expressed through leg position, as I've learned in my life. And so we were all sitting around in a circle and there were these two leaders. And the whole thing was just like diving to the center of my brain and other people's brains. Like we would pair off and do these 12 minute coaching practice sessions where one of us would be the coach and try to help the other person get to the bottom of something, whatever they wanted to get to the bottom of. We would be practicing, let's say, asking powerful questions, which in the co-active coaching model, which is what CTI teaches, is all about short, open-ended questions that usually begin with the word what. So instead of like, why do you feel that way? It would be like, what does that feel like? And so it's a very descriptive mode of conversation where it's not cerebral. It's about what is true, what feels true, and what could be. It sounds like those questions don't start with should. (laughs) (laughs) And as you were describing the types of questions you're asking, I realized they're quite different from a lot of the questions we have asked on Should we? Not only in that our questions often start with should, but also in that sometimes our questions are kind of long. And also, I'm remembering another thing you mentioned about those coaching questions, which is that you shouldn't have the answer in mind. And 
A lot of the time we have the answer in mind. Yeah. When we ask a should we question, often the answer is yes. Yeah, totally. I mean, should we questions are fun. You know, I wouldn't call them powerful. I'd call them fun and uh, frank. And those are two qualities that are also really important to me. I think they're qualities that are perfect for a podcast that's going into other people's ears because each of us decides how personal we want to be and our guests decide how personal they want to be. And each of us discloses as much as we're comfortable with sharing with a large audience, but that's a lot of the time more than we would have anticipated going in. And so there is a certain amount of vulnerability, but it's controlled and each of us has control over how far we go. Coaching is totally different because when it's a two-way mutual decision to engage in a coaching relationship, one person is deciding, I want to open myself up to this other human being for the purposes of understanding myself better. And I I know I won't have perfect control over the situation. And I'm handing over some of that control to a coach who I'm deciding to trust and give the benefit of the doubt. And the coach is responsible for being so present with the other person and just watching them as they speak and really reading their fluctuating energy as much as anything, like watching when someone's eyes light up and maybe just observing to them When you talked about going to Japan, your eyes lit up. You look like, a you know, an exploding star. Even something like that, which could sound frivolous in regular conversation, when it's the natural result of intensely listening to another human being and responding to whatever energy you're getting from them, it can feel really amazing as the person who's being coached to be like, you're right, like... I will travel down that path further. You're identifying to me that there's something down this path of talking about Japan that I want to pursue further. And the two of you, the coach and the client, walk into the unknown together and try to figure it out. And, you know, over the course of this weekend, I had a bunch of 12-minute sessions, both as coach and as practice client, and, like, I figured a lot of stuff out just in 12-minute stints of being coached by brand new coaches because we were learning these skills of watching each other's energy. And it's one of those things that works even if you know what's up. And I'm always looking for things that work even if you understand the mechanism because those seem outrageously powerful. And this is one of those things. Coaching is one of those outrageously powerful things. Diana, Can I make an observation about you? Sure. (laughs) Well, I've noticed that since you started the training, you have lit up. And it reminded me of something you asked Jane when we were talking with her. You asked her, you know, did coaching feel like um, learning something entirely new or just kind of... uh, building on something about you that was already there. And so I kind of want to ask the same question of you, but I have an answer in mind. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't have sought this out if I didn't feel like there was a kernel of me that was already playing that role with people. But because I didn't know how far I could take the role, I was doing an arbitrarily small version of it. For example... I knew asking powerful questions was important. And in my life before this past weekend, I would try to ask shorter and more concise questions and make them open-ended and all of that. I would try, sure. 
But what I didn't know is that intuition is inextricable from that process. And as you were saying, part of coaching is not asking questions you think you know the answer to, rather figuring out, okay, I'm sensing this thing, and I'm just going to put it out there for reaction because I'd rather drive the conversation forward and unblock my mind as the coach from what I'm seeing. And there's a good chance that whatever I say will be true. For example, if I were talking with someone in a coaching dynamic and they were talking about their life goals and things like that, and I might say, I'm really seeing like a hallway. I'm picturing a hallway and you're in the hallway. And then I would just trail off and they would either be like, no, it's not really a hallway. It's more like an ocean. And then they'd be off and running. And it doesn't even matter that I was quote unquote wrong about the hallway. All that matters is that it spurred forward motion and that I was unattached to my correctness. I was exposing it early enough that I hadn't created a story about what the hallway was. I was just saying, I'm seeing a hallway. That's the picture in my head. What does that spark in you? So this idea that speaking intuition is better than translating intuition into contorted questions is very useful for me. And so that's a whole layer that I didn't even know would be a part of this training. You know, tuning into intuition and expressing it in unattached ways. This is a way to actually embrace your intuition and kind of set it free. Exactly. You know, all that matters is that intuition is coming from being locked in a moment with somebody. And so if it's an expression of listening, then it's going to be useful no matter what, because it's a way of reflecting, I am so there with you that I'm seeing things, you know, I'm like seeing images in my head that I don't know whether they're useful or not, but let's just construct this reality together and see where it takes you, the client. It doesn't matter where it takes me, the coach. Diana, this sounds so cool. It's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also thinking about, um, I guess my closest comparison is um, at one point I did a a six-week communications workshop where I I learned a a bit about communicating better in a professional setting. It was particularly for women, all kind of dealing with similar themes. After I took the workshop, I almost felt like I learned these secret tricks. I, I mean, a lot of them were very intuitive, but I just felt like my eyes had been opened a little to be able to see patterns of communication that I didn't even know were happening before, to recognize and name exactly how another person is communicating and then decide which communication tools do I want to use in response. So then, particularly right after I had learned some of these things, when I was communicating with anyone, I felt so weird. I was like, okay, should I think about how I'm communicating or is that just not fair because they're not having this meta experience and I don't want to play tricks on them (laughs) like I just felt like I had this funny little like secret knowledge almost I think over time whatever I was learning just became more natural and faded into the background a little so I wasn't so self-aware about how I was communicating. But for a while, I just felt like, should I, should I like turn this off? Or is it always going to be on? Like, like, what do I do 
in the rest of my life with this new thing I've learned. So I'm just curious whether any of that resonates with you. Like, do you feel like it's all on all the time right now? No, but I worried that it would be. Um, When we spoke with Jane, I remember worrying a lot about whether this would become some sort of power over dynamic that I would accidentally slip into with friends. And so far, that's not really been the case. A heightened awareness of basic human interactions feels really dangerous. So now that I know there's a mode I can snap into that's so intuitive and uh, really one way, but not power over, more like presence with. So it is a mode, like it's a role to play to be a coach, and it's very specific, and it works best if the other person has agreed to it, right? So (laughs) gaining access to someone's mental landscape and emotional landscape has to be mutual. And while I think it's possible to build trust such that you end up in that mode anyway, and I think I've experienced that with friends in the past when I'm trying to really be present with them, let's say when they're grieving or something, you know, I'm conscious when someone's grieving of not trying to find silver linings, of not trying to share my own stories randomly, of mainly just being present with them and asking some gentle questions and, you know, just holding their emotions and being there for them. So I think that Coactive interaction, this model of training separates like coactivity from coaching per se. And coactivity, there's some graphic that represents coactivity, but the idea is that it's uh, forward motion uh, side by side. So it's uh, about getting curious, asking these powerful questions, and it's about um, believing that people are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. What flows from that is that everyone has the answers they need, and it's just about diving in to figure out what those answers are for them and not presuming that you, the counterpart, has those right answers. So anyway, I think that generally believing that people know what's best for them, know what they need, is actually a gentler way of being than assuming that I know the answers for other people. So. Yeah, I think I, I did expect to feel more of like a wild power walking around, but more I feel like, wow, there's this very taxing but high-impact mode I can be in. Taxing isn't even re- the, really the right way to put it because I found a lot of my coaching interactions so energizing because I got to be outside of my head. It was basically me agreeing to envelop someone else's mental and emotional state for some period of time, whether 12 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever. And then I didn't have to live in my own head for a little while. And so it was kind of nice to come back to my head. It's like, oh, there you are. Hello, head. Um, (laughs) But I got to see it afresh. And I also got to experience something totally different for some block of time. So um, anyway, but it is it is intense. You know, it's maybe not taxing, but it's an intense way of being that I can enter into by choice if the other person is willing and really cool things can happen, but it's not like a new way of deflecting people. It's the opposite of deflection. It's embrace. Uh huh. And you said something earlier about heightened awareness being potentially dangerous. What did you mean by that? Now that I'm aware of the different levels of listening, like part of this workshop was becoming 
aware of levels one, two, and three in listening, where level one is like where you're mainly in your own head. Level two is where you're right there locked in with the other person. And then level three is when you have this soft awareness of the world around you. And we would do these exercises where we'd have to basically report back on what level of listening we were in at various points and things like that. So, I mean, listening, we do listening all the time, but realizing that there are different levels and they're they're distinguishable and they feel real is like, wow, it's easy to feel self-conscious about that. And it's easy to feel self-conscious about asking powerful questions or uh, all kinds of things. I guess heightened awareness for me seems like it would be synonymous with self-consciousness, but I actually think it's more temporary. Potentially, it's a thing where when you're learning a skill set, you have to become attuned to it so that you see the patterns that you didn't before, but then the patterns fade into normalcy It's no longer a spike. It's like a new plateau. And at that new plateau, new possibilities are available. And so I think that what I worried was that I would now be stilted with all kinds of people in normal interaction because I would be wondering, like, what's the most powerful question I can ask next? And it turns out that just doesn't happen because coaching is so intensive that I would never snap into it accidentally. I have a comparison to make It reminds me of a book I really love called Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen by Mary Norris, the uh, copy editor at The New Yorker. I love this book so much. And there's a part in it where she says, you know, sometimes people expect that I'm going to be correcting their grammar all the time just in everyday life. But I don't do that unless someone's paying me to do that. That's my profession. It's like I don't just do that for free. (laughs) And also it's not nice to do that. So I think that's something I encounter definitely as a writer. And I've been a copy editor in the past. And there's a certain way of seeing text that's different when you're copy editing. It's different from reading. And there's a certain way of reading when you're reading professionally for a critical purpose or whatever that's different from pleasure reading. And I can do all of those modes. And I also like, for example, read my email in a different way where I'm definitely not looking for any errors, you know? And I think there is a little bit of trepidation sometimes from people I'm communicating with, like, oh, you know, please forgive my whatever, whatever, or some insecurity that critical lens might be going on their everyday communications. And I always want to say, like Mary Norris, no way, I'm not doing that (laughs) (laughs) unless you're paying me to do that and you really want me to because it takes more energy. All these different levels of reading are things that I really enjoy and that come naturally, but some of them are are truly professional. High attention takes a lot of energy. And I think that in the past, I've elided high attention with judgment. Like the more attention you're paying, the more judgmental you are. But that was not my experience of being in the role of a coach. Like my experience of that was I was so with the other person The judgment would have been folly. You know, I'm judgmental when I'm in my own head. 
And so getting out of my head is a way of getting a break from that. So anytime you're claiming expertise, there's a possibility that others will see it as a seat of judgment. So if you're an expert writer, then people might imagine that you're judgmental about the entire realm of writing. And if people know that I'm training to be a coach, they might imagine that I'm judgmental about their life decisions. It couldn't be further from the truth. What's most fun about coaching, as I discovered this weekend, is that you have no idea where the conversation will end up. It's really like you're digging through this pile of sand together, or like I'm pointing out things that look like they're glinting in the sand and the other person is like doing the hard digging and then I had no idea what would be under the sand at the end of the day but we're both so happy when it emerges from the grains of sand intact and sometimes beautiful sometimes scary Uh, it's a cool experience but it's not judgmental I have another question for you it's about who you want to coach Do you have in your mind any idea of, like, the characteristics of that other person that you want to work in this way with? So before I did this first weekend of training, I definitely had a hunch that I would be helping people like me. And that was semi-conscious, semi-unconscious. I think that imagining that other people are like me is a, an easy default. And so it's not weird that I would imagine coaching people who are like me too. And, and what do you mean by people like you? Like ambitious people early in their careers, probably in technology and probably women are non-binary. I think that I've experienced through many years of dealing with inbound emails that I am highly resentful of helping people I already perceive to be maximally privileged. Um, So I I much prefer helping people who are putting a lot of energy into their lives, but feel like they could be getting more out of them. A lot of the time that dynamic occurs because of societal biases. And I think that it's interesting to work with people to challenge those and see them for what they are and all of that. So that's what I suspected. But what I found this weekend is that I did one practice coaching session, which was mandated as part of the workshop. We would do like a practice coaching session in the evening on the second day and then debrief on it the next day. So I did a practice coaching session with someone very similar to me in a lot of ways. And it was awesome. I had such a good experience and I hope they did too. But then the next morning I was taking a lift to the training institute and The driver of the lift saw that the destination was called the Coach's Training Institute and said, wow, coaching, I could use some coaching. And because I had just done this practice session, I dove into it and I was like, okay, well, I'd love to practice with you if you're open to it. I'll just ask you a few questions. And I started by asking something like, what is your dream, which is the canonical uh, co-active question. And she was off and running. And then by the end of the ride, which was about 30 minutes, she'd like made this huge life decision. And she was like, I'm going to send you a photo of that when I finish it. And I'd done almost nothing. I'd asked two or three questions and mainly just held space with her during the car ride, you know, reflecting back her energy and all of that. So I have a very different life from my Lyft driver. And yet it was as useful 
if not more so, to be able to focus in on just her energy, not sort of the content of her life, but just what, where she was energized and where she was limp and just hone in on that. And I think that talking with people who also work in technology, it's more of an advanced move I'm finding to block out the pictures in my head about my own similar experiences, which are normally what I'd bring to the table during some sort of conversation, advice-seeking or mentoring. Like someone would tell me about their issues and I'd be like, I had something really similar happen. Here's the story. Here's how I dealt with it. What do you think? And then they would respond. But I'm really forced into solely listening when I have no basis of comparison for someone else's life. So I think that that's a really good place to start with practicing because it's that intuition and heightened listening that's most core and everything else just gets in the way. I can really empathize with that initial feeling of wanting to work with people who are similar to you. And I almost pictured like being on a path and kind of looking back and seeing some people who are like really on a similar path and you're like, oh, hey, I'm a couple steps ahead. Maybe I can help you um, bypass some of the <laughs> mistakes I had to make or or um, I can just bring you along a little faster or something. Maybe my experience will be really relevant to you. But yeah, it does sound like the possibilities for your coaching have really been expanded already. Yeah, it's also not at all what I thought it was. I really thought that it was a, a flavor of advice giving where you just kind of trick the other person into coming up with their own advice. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have described it that way, but practically, I think that's how I thought it worked. And it's really not that at all. Yeah. In fact, it's so about presence. One of the teachers this weekend, I had two teachers, and one of them also has a meditation teaching practice. So she coaches, and then she also provides meditation classes for her clients. And one is teaching, one is coaching. They're totally different because one is about skills and one is about drawing out what a person already knows. But meditation is also about presence and about softer ways of listening and being aware and all of that. It can also feel self-conscious until you really get past it. You know, sitting on a cushion, having thoughts bubble up and then knocking them away uh, or however you want to envision uh, meditation. It's pretty similar at base. But the most exciting thing for me was realizing that I could surprise myself. The practice clients I worked with were surprising themselves as we would speak together but also, I had one practice coaching experience where I ended up, like, running down the hallway with the person and then asking them to dive into their future and then, like, walking back and then asking them, how are you going to get back there to the end of the hallway? And then they, like, ran back. And then, you know, I went back, sat with them for a little while, and we walked all the way back to the first end of the hallway. And then, panting, I turned around and I was like... You can get back there anytime you want. And I had no idea that I would do anything but the first running. You know, the, the let's run down the hallway was this spontaneous impulse. And part of the, the exercise for that 12-minute block was following impulses and sort of being over the top and seeing whether that was helpful to the person you were working with. 
And so I followed it. From there, I couldn't have predicted any of it. I was really just being in the moment and trying to be in tune with the other person, figuring out what would move them forward. And that was really cool to realize that by inhabiting a different headspace, I could enact experiences that I would have had no way of anticipating. Wow. So it sounds like this type of listening requires a lot of letting go, like not anticipating what the person's going to say, not asking leading questions, and really not knowing where where you're going to end up. You got it. Diana, do you have any questions for me right now? What do you think about coaching after hearing all of this? I mean, I had pretty much all of the same preconceptions as you did. And so it does sound different to me than what I was guessing. I think that I value even more the coaching I've received in in terms of understanding like what kind how much work it is and how much intention goes into it and I have just gotten so much out of being coached. I don't have a coach right now and it makes me want one <laughs> again. And I think it's such a gift to build up that skill and use it to help other people. And I I guess maybe once in a while I've wondered whether coaching would make sense for me. If I should take a training like that, I think mostly I don't want to. It sounds really hard. <laughs> but it's nice to know more about about what it really is. And I I also just really believe that it seems like a blossoming of you and so many of your strengths and your intuition and your ability to listen with heightened awareness. Thank you, Lisa. And what's going through my head hearing that is that the highest form of this listening Maybe listening to myself. I was thinking about writing and our old tagline of being writers who'd rather talk. Writing is hard partly because listening to myself on a level that's day-to-day is like so sensory and so complainy and such a mess, really. But Rising through those levels of listening to be able to sort of gently hold my own memories and be really kind to myself about them and assume the best, but just try to tune into that one detail that feels like it'll move the story forward. That's the mode that helps me write the best. And I would like to know how to get into that mode more deliberately because uh, it's great to be there, but it's hard to get there. It's true. And as I've been going through The Artist's Way, and I've now finished. Congratulations. Thank you. I am so, so glad I did it, inspired by you. And as I've been going through it, I feel like I've built up that muscle again of being able to sit down and very quickly tap into the sound of my own voice in my head and just be able to write as if I'm talking to myself or to a friend. And that muscle had some apathy, 
I think I was able to churn out writing quickly before, but not with as much depth. So now I feel like I'm glad to be able to kind of sustain a conversation with myself in the form of writing. And I'm excited to keep doing that more. I'm excited to read it. Okay. Well, in summary, Diana, should we ask questions? Always. That seems like a perfect note to end on. So, we have a few people to thank. Thank you to Yosh at Faultline Studios for recording and editing this episode. Thank you to Math Times Joy for our wonderful identity. Thank you to the band Canada for our theme song, Hey Garland. And thank you to all of our Kickstarter backers for making this season possible. Should you tune in next time? We'll leave it to you. (laughs) 